Chapter Five of Five Weeks in a Balloon. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Alex C. Talander, Davis, California. Five Weeks in a Balloon, or Journeys and Discoveries in Africa, by Three Englishmen, by Jules Verne, translated by William Lackland. Chapter Five. Kennedy's Dreams. Articles and pronouns in the plural. Dick's insinuations. A promenade over the map of Africa. What is contained between two points of the compass. Expeditions now on foot. Speak and Gramp. Craft de Deccan and de Hoagland. Dr. Ferguson energetically pushed the preparations for his departure, and in person superintended the construction of his balloon, with certain modifications, in regard to which he observed the most absolute silence. For a long time past he had been applying himself to the study of the Arab language and the various Mandingo idioms, and thanks to his talents as a polyglot he had made rapid progress. In the meanwhile his friend, the sportsman, never let him out of his sight, afraid, no doubt, that the doctor might take his departure without saying a word to anybody. On this subject he regaled him with the most persuasive arguments, which, however, did not persuade Samuel Ferguson, and wasted his breath in pathetic entreaties, by which the latter seemed to be but slightly moved. In fine, Dick felt that the doctor was slipping through his fingers. The poor Scot was really to be pitied. He could not look upon the azure revolt without a sombre terror. When asleep, he felt oscillations that made his head reel, and every night he had visions of being swung aloft at immeasurable heights. We must add that, during these fearful nightmares, he once or twice fell out of bed. His first care, then, was to show Ferguson a severe contusion that he had received on the cranium. And yet, he would add, with warmth, that was at the height of only three feet, not an inch more, and such a bump as this? Only think, then. This insinuation, full of sad meaning as it was, did not seem to touch the doctor's heart. Will not fall, was his invariable reply. But still, suppose that we were to fall. We will not fall. This was decisive, and Kennedy had nothing more to say. What particularly exasperated Dick was that the doctor seemed completely to lose sight of his personality, of his, Kennedy's, and to look upon him as irrevocably destined to become his aerial companion. Not even the shadow of a doubt was ever suggested, and Samuel made an intolerable misuse of the first-person plural. We are getting along. We shall be ready on the... We shall start on the... etc., etc. And then there was the singular possessive adjective. Our balloon. Our car. Our expedition. And the same in the plural, too. Our preparations. Our discoveries. Our ascensions. Dick shuddered at them, although he was determined not to go. But he did not want to annoy his friend. Let us also disclose the fact that, without knowing exactly why himself, he had sent to Edinburgh for a certain selection of heavy clothing, and his best hunting gear and firearms. One day, after having admitted that, with an overwhelming run of good luck, there might be one chance of success in a thousand, he pretended to yield entirely to the doctor's wishes, but in order to still put off the journey, he opened the most varied series of subterfuges. He threw himself back upon questioning the utility of the expedition, its opportuneness, etc., this discovery of the sources of the Nile, was it likely to be of any use? Would one have really labored for the welfare of humanity? When, after all, the African tribes should have been civilized, would they be any happier? Were folk certain that civilization had not its chosen abode there rather than in Europe? Perhaps. And then, couldn't one wait a little longer? The trip across Africa would certainly be accomplished some day, and in a less hazardous manner. In another month, or in six months before the year was over, some explorer would undoubtedly come in, etc., etc., these hints produced an effect exactly opposite to what was desired or intended, 
and the doctor trembled with impatience. "'Are you willing, then, wretched Dick, are you willing, false friend, that this glory should belong to another? Might I then be untrue to my past history? Recoil before obstacles that are not serious? Requite with cowardly hesitation what both the English government and the Royal Society of London have done for me?' But, resumed Kennedy, who made great use of that conjunction. But, said the doctor, are you not aware that my journey is to compete with the success of the expeditions now on foot? Don't you know that fresh explorers are advancing towards the center of Africa? Still, listen to me, Dick, and cast your eyes over that map. Dick glanced over it with resignation. Now, ascend the course of the Nile. I have ascended it, replied the Scotchman, with docility. Stop at Gondokoro. I am there and Kennedy thought to himself how easy such a trip was on the map. Now, take one of the points of these dividers, and let it rest upon that place beyond which the most daring explorers have scarcely gone. I have done so. And now look along the coast for the island of Zanzibar, in latitude six degrees south. I have it. Now, follow the same parallel and arrive at Kazeh. I have done so. Run up again along the thirty-third degree of longitude, to the opening of Lake Ukarui, at the point where Lieutenant Speke had to halt. I am there, a little more, and I should have tumbled into the lake. Very good. Now, do you know what we have the right to suppose, according to the information given by the tribes that live along its shores? I haven't the least idea. Why, that this lake, the lower extremity of which is two in two degrees and thirty minutes, must extend also two degrees and a half above the equator. Really? Well, from this northern extremity there flows a stream which must necessarily join the Nile, if it be not the Nile itself. That is indeed curious. Then let the other point of your dividers rest upon that extremity of Lake Ekeroi. It is done, friend Ferguson. Now, how many degrees can you count between the two points? Scarcely two. And do you know what that means, Dick? Not the least in the world. Why, that makes scarcely one hundred and twenty miles. In other words, a nothing. Almost nothing, Samuel. Well, do you know what is taking place at this moment? No, upon my horror, I do not. Very well, then I'll tell you. The Geographical Society regard as very important the exploration of this lake, of which Speke caught a glimpse. Under their auspices, Lieutenant, now Captain, Speke, has associated with him Captain Grant of the Army in India. They have put themselves at the head of a numerous and well-equipped expedition. Their mission is to ascend the lake and return to Gondokoro. They have received a subsidy of more than five thousand pounds, and the Governor of the Cape of Good Hope has placed Hottentot soldiers at their disposal. They set out from Zanzibar at the close of October, 1860. In the meanwhile, John Petherick, the English consul of the city of Khartoum, has received about 700 pounds from the foreign office. He is to equip a steamer at Khartoum, stock it with sufficient provisions, and make his way to Gondokoro. There he will await Captain Speke's caravan, and be able to replenish its supplies to some extent. Well planned, said Kennedy. You can easily see, then, that time presses if we are to take part in these exploring labors. And that is not all, since, while some are thus advancing with sure steps to the discovery of the sources of the Nile, others are penetrating to the very heart of Africa. On foot, said Kennedy. Yes, on foot, rejoined the doctor, without noticing the insinuation. Dr. Krapf proposes to push forward in the west by way of the Job, a river lying under the equator. Baron de Decken has already set out from Mombaz has reconnoitred the mountains of Kenaya and Kilimanjaro, and is now plunging in toward the center. But all this time on foot? On foot or on mules? Exactly the same, so far as I am concerned, ejaculated Kennedy. Lastly, resumed the doctor, M. de Hoglin, 
the Austrian vice-consul at Khartoum, has just organized a very important expedition, the first aim of which is to search for the traveller Vogel, who in 1853 was sent into the Sudan to associate himself with the labours of Dr. Barth. In 1856 he quitted Bornu and determined to explore the unknown territory that lies between Lake Chad and Darfur. Nothing has been seen of him since that time. Letters that were received in Alexandria in 1860 said that he was killed at the order of King of Wadai, but other letters addressed by Dr. Hartman to the traveller's father relate that, according to the recital of the Fedlata of Bornu, Voga was merely held as a prisoner at Wawa. All hope is not then lost. Hence a committee has been organized under the presidency of the regent of Saxe-Coburg-Gotha. My friend Peterman is its secretary. A national subscription has provided for the expense of the expedition, whose strength has been increased by the voluntary accession of several learned men, at M. de Hoogland, set out from Massawa in the month of June. While engaged in looking for Vogel, he is also to explore all the country between the Nile and Lake Chad, that is to say, to knit together the operations of Captain Speke and those of Dr. Barth, and then Africa will have been traversed from east to west. After the departure of Dr. Ferguson, it was ascertained that M. de Hoogland, owing to some disagreement, took a route different from the other assigned to his expedition, the command of the latter having been transferred to Dr. Munzinger. Well, said the canny Scot, since everything is getting on so well, what's the use of our going down there? Dr. Ferguson made no reply, but contented himself with a significant shrug of the shoulders. End of chapter 5 of five weeks in a balloon recording by alexi talander davis california www.alexitalander.com